Welcome back, everybody, to Three Film Feature. This is the show that if you watch it on YouTube, it's separated a little bit because lower numbers and, you know, less minutes there works better. But on the podcast feed, this is where I take the episodes of Movie Tales I just did, combine it into a longer feature so you can listen to it on your commute to the bathroom, to work while you're vacuuming, you know, when you're doing your busy work. This time around, we celebrate Peter Bogdanovich as we talk about The Last Picture Show. We look at a romance film from the past couple of years called Princess Sid. And we end things on a high note as I get into my love and admiration for the classic John Carpenter film, Big Trouble in Little China. This was a lot of fun. And again, I thank you guys so much for getting involved in this process. Now, let's have a quick break. And when we come back, here you go. Free film feature. This episode, pretty cool. Check it out. So it is sad to say that there is a reason we're talking about the last picture show today. That, of course, is, I think, January 6th. Peter Bogdanovich, the director and writer of this film, passed away. He was 82. And I I, I like him as a director. And I've always wanted to kind of, like, talk about his filmography. And I figured, let's do the last picture show because it's probably his most prolific work. But... He's such an interesting director because a lot of his career was right in that era of New Hollywood when it's shifting to what it would become out of the studio system. And he never really like had the big break as some of the other guys. He's had big pictures. And I, I think The Last Picture Show might be his biggest film. It's hard to say. But he's definitely just been consistently working and putting out content and creating and, and doing all these interesting things without ever stepping up to be the next big guy. Like there's names in his generation and his era that are bigger than him who I would say aren't as creative or interesting, but he is just a story director who has done a lot of great stuff and I'm just super impressed of his work. So we're talking the last picture show. It is 1971. We're going back to the 50s right there. You know, when he's young, he's spry. He wants to talk about the world he's a part of. And I completely understand that. We haven't really talked about coming of age films on Movie Tales too much. It's a genre that I enjoy because I'm still a young guy. And I'm still experiencing and going through these things that people are talking about in their pictures. And the last picture show, you know, there's especially in the 70s, there's a lot of this nostalgic era. You know, Happy Days is right there and everything. There's a lot of people trying to capture that Americana feeling. And I think The Last Picture Show goes for that, but doesn't like explicitly say something about Americana. It's like we're in Texas. Everybody's got their fake accents on or their realistic accents for better or ill. They, they're talking in the accents of a Texan person of this time. And there's definitely like a sense of community here. It's a small town and you, you get the sense like, oh, everyone knows these kids that play on the football team or the basketball team. They know them. They're like, why don't you tackle better? Why don't you get into the world and do some more stuff there? And I, I completely get that. Like that is a small town feeling. That is something very Friday Night Lights. It's just something we've seen a bunch, especially in a town of Texas, which I, I completely understand why that would be that way. It's really cool to see. So our main character here is played by Timothy Bottoms, and he is Sonny, and basically it's his story of growing up and coming to terms. He, he's pretty much see his life through a year, through the relationships he's getting out of, through the relationships he's starting, the people he loves, what he wants to do with his life. And it's very interesting, especially when you have a lead in a coming-of-age film, it's definitely a passive character where they are kind of experiencing everything without actually being the driving force. They go on adventures with their friends. They experience all this stuff. And Sonny is a great example of how you do that kind of lead character because it's not till like the end of the film where all of his, 
you know, experiences come to terms of the choices he made and he's learning how to experience things, which I get it. And I think especially post-World War II, which is, you know, the 50s, you are a kid who probably your father was there or people you know were there. You are experiencing some sort of shell shock, just like the aftermath of that and how that affects your view of the world. So he ages pretty fast in that year where you see he burns a lot of bridges, new experiences come to him, and he kind of just gets everything he wants. But I get it. I think that's something this generation in particular would experience where it's like the owner of, you know, the pool club or where the guys go to hang out. He he passes away. He leaves it to you. You just suddenly get it. You know, you're just driving to Mexico for a weekend with your friend. You just go there. You do it. You, there's no ramifications. There's no justification. You just go do it, which works completely. That is something that that generation did. And I completely buy it. So I love his interpretation of Sonny. He is, again, a very good character who is just emoting perfectly. He's experiencing everything he's going through. He's feeling all these different emotions. He's doing a great job of portraying those. I do like him. And it's just really impressive to see a young Jeff Bridges. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Jeff. I've been, he's the best Bridges, obviously, but I haven't seen a lot of his earlier work. And I always think the last picture show is like where the movie star comes in because you see it here. He is playing the supporting role, the aggressive kind of older friend. They're the same age, but he's definitely the more like experienced, the more well-versed. And he has the, I would say the best side story just in terms of like growing up too, because he starts off the young, rebellious, lustful kid. He matures into, I love this girl. I want to marry this girl. This girl doesn't love me. So now I'm going to have to take a step back and reevaluate my life. And when like the things come to terms that maybe she never actually liked me and she was just using me, I'm going to have to figure out how to adjust everything that I'm doing and eventually leading to him going to war. That's a really good conflict resolution for his character because that's what you do with that aggression. You know, he's got Korea coming up and it makes sense. I really did enjoy that. And he just, he's got that charm. You just see it right from the get-go. He's just talented and interesting. Very James Dean in some of his portrayal. I think him and Timothy could like really switch who was doing like their best interpretation of, you know, like a rebel without a cause. They are both just exuding some perfect, just leading man stuff. And their chemistry is great. The weirdest part is like their really cheesy fight scene, but Again, I'm not going to fault it for that because that's how you do it at this time. It just looked really fake. And for the amount of like glass that is shattered over Sonny's face, there is not that big of a scar, which I completely get. And it's just interesting. Sybil Shepard is also in this film. And she's young. She starts an affair with Peter Bogdanovich after this. And it's a very interesting character that I'm very surprised a film in the 70s made. It's a very sexual film. Of course it is. It's coming of age in a generation where everything was becoming available to you. It doesn't hold back any nudity or any of that stuff. So I'm assuming it's a racy film of the time. But Sybil's just like come, kind of coming into what we like Richard Linklater would do for a lot of his career of his female characters. And that is like they want sex, but they're not going to explicitly go after it. If it comes to them, they'll do it and they'll manipulate events to get there. But it's never about, like, let's make this grotesque or these women into these lustful monsters. It's just, that's a thing she wants. She meets a guy she likes, and she's going to go for that. She does be kind of become the character that ruins a lot of people's lives, but it happens, and I completely get that, because this film is also about the age difference and the generational gaps, and a lot of the older women in the film are like, don't go after a girl like that. That girl leaves trouble. She breaks hearts along the way, and they present that in an honestly perfect way, because... I get it. 
you know, I completely understand, you know, Peter Bogdanovich's need to put him in the situation with the older women. That is something we literally saw last year with Paolo Sanantoro's, Sorrentino's, I should say, the hand of God, because he was interested in the older family member there. And I'm just saying, I get it when you're doing this coming of age tale, especially with somebody who is wanting more from life and you, you were looking for experience as opposed to like the moment the older women are going to be drawn to, or you're going to be drawn to the older woman, I should say. And I, I think the relationship of Clorch Leachman's character, it's kind of weird. And it, it feels very much like, you know, kind of in a sense, just uncomfortable, but there is genuine care there. He doesn't like break her heart until, you know, Sybil ruins his life, which I think works and giving her like the, the actual moment of satisfaction where she, she can call him out on it and say, I shouldn't be crying over you and you shouldn't be apologizing to me. Why am I apologizing to you? That's good stuff. And it's very earnest and it works for the small town aesthetic where this woman feels trapped and maybe the escape is the one person that recognizes her. So I did like that. Again, it's very cliched for the genre, but this kind of created the genre where you're seeing all these people just growing up and learning. And it worked really well. So I can't fault the film for sticking to what would become the trope for this genre. But the relationship between Cloris Leachman and Timothy Bottoms, it worked really well. And you, you really bought their chemistry. And you just feel like that is Texas in a sense. It's just really weird. My favorite character in the film, though, is probably Sam. And he dies like he's the, you know, the driving force behind what's going to happen with Sonny and Dwayne later. His death was important, but I, I just like that character because you have to have like the older adult figure that is the voice of reason for everybody. He supports these kids. He treats them like they're his own son, and he is just caring and kind to them. And he has a, just a great speech that I love a great speech about guys talking about their romantic tendencies. It doesn't come across as like needy or gross or it's just like talking about a woman's beauty. He's just like, there was a woman I went swimming with. We fell in love and she was already married, so we can never have that. But it was just nice to have that connection. Later, you see it's Sybil's mother, who's that woman. It's a great speech. It's very much Joseph Cotton and Citizen Kane talk about seeing the girl on the boat. It has that feeling, and I just adore when it does that. And that all that was just great. And the script for this is just beautiful. It it drags a little bit, but that's just a, it happens. Sometimes these films go somewhere, but the wording is great. The dialogue is fantastic. The characters are completely nuanced and believable. They are a great time. It's kind of pseudosexual, but that's again a part of the tropes and part of what this genre is going to become. And I just think the camera work itself is just beautiful because there's more like, you know, long shots and continuous takes than you'd be expecting. And it plays around with what you're doing when you're showing like an automobile driving, especially in this time period in the 70s. That that aesthetic or that style of filming could look really cheap, but it didn't. It looked authentically good. It looked beautiful. Everything about this film was special. And it, it just goes to show you that Peter Bogdanovich, an incredible director with a great career, really did something special with this and it's a shame that he didn't get bigger and better than some of the other guys but I get it subtle film about growing up seeing movies and loving your friends and your family and the troubles of being in a small town where everybody knows everything sometimes your life could get ruined sometimes your life falls apart but you always can escape in the film and again it's another trope of the genre going to the movies but the last picture shows the perfect title for this kind of film and that made it extra special so i know it might not be everyone's cup of tea but i think the last picture show is a great coming of age film with great directing and great writing and incredible performances by people that will become storied actors in themselves so 
Princess Sid. So one of the cappers I gave myself when deciding to do movie tales was I wanted a time gap or else I have talk about literally movies that come out this week. I decided on five years. I, I think I could have done 10 or 20, but I think five years was better just because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the mid 2010s that are good. So I was like, let's talk about them. So 2017 is the year we can talk about. It's 2022. And I wanted to find a film that I haven't seen or really heard of, like something that could be obscure-ish and I could really sink my teeth into and just enjoy and endure and see what comes about it. So I did some research and I found Princess Sid. This was like a small release, independent-like film about a young woman in her... She's 16, I think? Yeah, she's 16. She has some problems with her father. She goes to visit her aunt for the summer and from that, these two kind of blossom a beautiful relationship about love and they help each other explore the things in their life that give them impact and gratitude and all these kind of things. It's weird. And I say weird because this is exactly the kind of film I would normally really enjoy. I think it's beautifully shot. It looks cool. It's written really interestingly. But something about it, just something about this film didn't hit the mark perfectly for me. I love what it's going for. It's just a quiet, soft film. It's like 96 minutes long. It's just a quiet, soft film about like exploring love in different circumstances. Like the aunt character is a writer named Miranda. She has published a bunch of books and she enjoys talking about religion and these challenges that she faces, discovering what it means to believe in something or discovering faith. And she enjoys having philosophical discussions and all that stuff. And because she has that focus... She never really had the need for romance or love. And you see Sid, who's a young girl, and she's exploring her options in the world. She wants love. She wants romantic connections. She wants the sexual tension. And she just... Having those characters clash, it's cool, but the way it does it isn't the most interesting thing you've seen. And that's okay. Not every film has to blow your mind. This one, I think, was just a soft story where it's like, yeah, here we go. There's some connection here. They start off not really getting along and there's like the tension and differences, but they slowly learn to love each other because Sid is learning new experiences and she's trying to come into her own as a young woman. That stuff really worked. I did like that. Jessie Pinnock, who I'm not familiar with any of her other work, if she's done anything else, her performance as Sid, it's pretty good. Like it's interesting and she develops, she develops herself as like a young woman would coming into her own and trying to like learn the role of still being mature in her setting. They let her do a lot of stuff that you wouldn't normally see from a 16-year-old, which I get it. I'm almost positive this girl's not 16. So I get why you do some stuff that like that. But if you're looking at this from a certain objective, it's almost a little too hypersexualized where this young woman at any moment is either finding a way to be the sexiest in the room or she's finding a way to you know, spread herself out on a lawn and like be the object of the gaze of the viewer and like having pretty much the she is the only person who has multiple sex scenes in the in the movie where she's with two different people that could that could get like really distracting and annoying and i think it kind of does at times where i found myself watching some of the sex scenes i'm like i i get it i don't think this needed to be as long as it was i understand the emotional impact behind it and i, I really do think that works but i don't believe it was necessary for it to be drawn out that long and that's kind of why I like the short runtime, because if this was any longer, it loses its quiet momentum. And I think that's really cool. So there's kind of like a relationship developing. Why I'm putting it under romantic tales is because the relationship that develops between 
Sid and this other character, Katie, is surprisingly charming. I think it works really well. You see their meet cute at the beginning where she's lost and she walks to the coffee shop and just slowly these two start to care about each other. And you, and you see Sid trying to figure out what kind of person she's dealing with here, both physically and emotionally. And you buy their relationship growing. Is it the coolest relationship you've seen on screen? I don't think so. I think, honestly, it's pretty simple and it doesn't do that much to impress me but not every relationship you see is like that sometimes you just meet a person you have the connection and you just start to hang out because of it and that's what this felt like to me it was less a coming of age film which I, I was going into this expecting like a coming of age film where you're seeing this young woman's like exploring her sexuality exploring what it means to like feel grown up in a world where she's been hurt before it's more like a series of vignettes about her life in this one time she visited her aunt where she's you know, hanging out with this person. She's hanging out at like a book club thing. She's doing these different adventures. And that's still cool. But it was just like, if this was a little bit more like emotional, because she has her big, you know, moment with Katie. And then you really kind of like dive into her character a little bit where her mother and brother were killed from a homicide. That doesn't play a big factor into her actual character. She is still pretty much like outgoing at every turn. And that kind of feels mixed in terms of a character where if you felt like the need to make Katie the only person she expressed any actual sexual interest in, I think it'd work. But no, we see her at the beginning of the movie. She's kissing a guy when she lands in Chicago, or before she lands in Chicago. She hooks up with another guy before she hooks up with Katie. And it doesn't really work. It's weird. And I didn't really love it completely. Once again... A phenomenal job just portraying that kind of character, but that character itself doesn't feel like a real version of a person. It just feels like we're just going through the motions and we're trying to have this be a love story without actually giving you the depth you need to feel the connection between these two. Katie's a fun character. She's not my favorite in the actual story. She serves a great purpose. Her look is incredible. I love the mohawk. It's very cool. And their relationship's great. But the surprise to me, which I really did like, was the role from Rebecca Spence here just playing the older Miranda I'm always fascinated when writers or anybody really talks about the industry they're in so when you have a writer writing a story about a writer you get a lot of bullshit thrown in there sometimes and this one there is a bit of there there's a crisis of faith throughout half the book where you see Miranda's trying to struggle with her identity and what it means but there's some really cool moments that she does have. I really do like the moment where she's talking to Sid when Sid makes a reference like, if you didn't eat so much, maybe you'd want to have sex. And she's like, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I get fulfillment from these other things. Like I get fulfillment from hanging out with my book club. I get fulfillment from doing these other jobs and all this stuff. I do not have the need for these things that you do. That is a very powerful moment. And I think it worked really well because it just establishes this is a certain woman. And it plays really well off of Sid, where Sid's questioning everything as she's listening to her aunt talk about stuff, and she's exploring her sexuality. You just see Miranda's like, no, I know what I want. There's a guy here that likes me. I don't have the need to like him. I don't feel that in my in my body, in my soul. If he explores other options, great. Good for him. He should. She does kind of come off her shell a little bit throughout the movie, which is really cool to see. And I think that's important. You know, you can push through all that stuff, but she's still certainly, without a shred of doubt, her own person, which is really cool to see. I do want to talk about this because I think it's very fascinating. The scene where we have like the soiree and it's the book club. 
is really weird. And I think this could go either way for you. If you are a fan of just people talking about books, I get it. I'm not, however, I am not somebody who could in the real world, even when I was in high school, I did not enjoy talking about the books we were forced to read or had to like present a passage that I enjoyed. That was just never me. And I think it was just because I, I feel strongly about a lot of stuff in that regards, but I don't need to sit in a circle and, you know, just like have that experience of a bunch of people. I like doing this, but that's kind of the same thing, but it's, it's also different. So the book scene was a lot longer than you might be expecting. <laughs> I think we hear like four different passages and, and that was just like, okay, that's a little bit too much. Like we don't need to have that many passages in this, in this story. We know what's happening. It's working okay. You don't have to overextend it. We get it. You like reading. You're all a bunch of dorks. That's kind of fun. But you don't need it. And it wasn't that necessary. But I get it. You know, it's so easy for a writer to want to talk about writing in their process. And a lot of the writing here did feel like that, where it just came across as like, yeah, we're having the experience. I do like that Miranda had a, a wide variety of books and she was experiencing all these different things. That's cool. I think that's really interesting. But like the common theme was that her characters were always lonely women who were either divorced or had nobody. And that's really an interesting element to explore. And I think it really benefits that at the end of the movie, she professes her love to Sid for the first time. And you see like Sid loves her too. It's like there's the kinship connecting between them. So I think Jessica Spence was the best in the movie. I mean, I, Rebecca Spence, I think she was the best. She just had the most going for. There's a really cool character arc where she actually learned to grow up as opposed to Sid, who just pretty much had an experience and didn't really grow from it. You just feel like she does like Katie. She wants to be with Katie, but she goes back home not having really changed from the experience. And I think that's okay, but it doesn't make for that much cinematic storytelling. It's just kind of bland, which again could be the point. I could be completely off about what the point of this movie's trying to be. But as it stands, I think Princess Sid is a really interesting approach to talking about growing up that doesn't really hit its mark, doesn't make you buy the romantic connections well, and maybe gets a little too preachy about having a crisis of faith and being a writer and what that all connects into your real world. It's okay. It's kind of ham-fisted at times, but Jessica Pinnock, but Jessica but Jesse Pinnock and Rebecca Spence give really good performances and cool. That's Princess Sid, a pretty fun coming of age romance story. That's not going to work for everybody, but it is 96 minutes. So maybe check it out if you want to. So we've talked about a lot of films here on Movie Tales. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been great. Some of them have been bad, but none of them thus far have been more perfectly encapsulating of my type of film than the one we're about to talk about today. That, of course, is 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. Now, I knew from the get-go when I was doing this show, I'm going to talk about Big Trouble in China at some point because this is, like, to me, one of the best-kept movies when it just comes to here's how you take a script that doesn't sound good and make it special because love it or hate it this movie has an audience there's a cult following behind it love it or hate it on paper this script is terrible it is so badly written so badly just created but when you get the right team together the right director the right actors the right costume designer 
you can turn this stupid little script into a fantastic, over-the-top, satirical take on the genre it is spoofing. And that's something might get overlooked a little bit. Big Trouble in Little China is a spoof film because it's making fun of those high-strung kung fu action things of like the 70s, you know? It's parroting them, it's homaging them all at the same time where it's over-the-top dialogue where everybody's saying what they're feeling, everybody's saying what they're thinking, and it's just, here's some great action, here's some insane costumes, here's a fantastic film just pushing all these ideas in a weird way that works so well. I love everything about this film. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not perfect. There's some hiccups here and there that don't work. Some plot lines that don't get picked up that I don't think are necessary, but that's kind of the trope it's spoofing too, where it's like we could do certain stuff with this genre, but we don't really do it. That's kind of cool. So some of you might be out of the loop. What is Big Trouble in Little China about? Well, imagine you're an all-around American trucker. Your name is Jack Burton. You're headed down the street. You're just having a bell of a ball of a grand of a good time you know you're getting swindled for some money your buddy wang's cheating you out of some dough and he's like i'll pay you back jack don't worry it's like don't don't you do that man and when you're kurt russell who plays jack burton when you are kurt russell you are given an opportunity to do something truly remarkable and that is over-exaggerate what it means to be a white guy and that is something that could be so annoying but it is done perfectly well here just the exaggerated tones the way every every second of the film he sounds tired and sarcastic and just dead inside but he's still going along for the ride he just looks sweaty and tired and every time he gets hit down he gets back up and he's like oh here we go again like this is perfect. And I honestly think only Kurt Russell could do something like this because he is just a personality. He has that presence. He is just so commanding and in charge while still looking tired and bored and exhausted and frustrated in a convincing manner. Oh, it is so nice to see him in this. And, and I couldn't tell you what my favorite Kurt Russell role is. Jack Burton's up there. Just because this is him, man. He's just going for it. He's swinging for the fences. He's over-talking in every situation. His voice is so loud and commanding. He's like, hey, this is a pretty girl. I'm going to try to get some tail while I'm doing this incredibly ridiculous thing. And it works so well. And speaking of getting some tail, Kim Cattrall is in this. And I I like her. I've always liked Kim Cattrall. I've never been like the biggest fan of hers. But I, I like what she does here because, again, it's the over-dramaticization of the Lois Lane type, where it's like, I'm going to get the report, I'm going to be the best news anchor you ever did see, I'm going to get all this done, whoop-dee-doo, me. you're going to solve this case, get everything sought out, okay, that's a lot to deal with, and it's just like, whoa, let's take a minute back, but it works so well, you just have people committing to this dialogue, and fully committing, because it is cheesy, it is corny, it is hammed up to the extreme, and that is the point it's trying to get across, and that is how it's trying to present itself. So that is so cool. So Jack Burton, he's a truck driver, headed down to Chinatown. He gets up with his old buddy Wang, but Wang owes him some money. But Wang has to go pick up his lady from the airport. And when he gets to the airport, guess what? Lady's kidnapped by some gang. So they're going to go find his lady. They end up in this dark alley. And what's happening? Literally a gang war. Yeah. And not just any gang war. Just an insane amount of violence and destruction, weapons of all sorts just coming through while these two main characters are just sitting in a truck watching. And as that's happening, guess what? Thunder, rain, and lightning strike down in the form of people and they attack these gangs and they attack our guys because guess what's happening also? 
Lopan is returning. It's insane. It is really insane and intense and awkward and weird. And I'm just like, this shouldn't work. We're seeing so many just randomly colorful gang members beating each other up. And then all of a sudden, these big dudes in their straw hats show up, screaming, flipping. It shouldn't work. It really shouldn't work. But it does. And just like, this is great. These co- the freaking costumes in this movie are so good. Like, every time you look at, like, I think in particular, Rain and Thunder... They are so intense and just great. And I I love the hats. The hats make it for me just because it's such a goofy design that it just shouldn't work. But I'm like, that's it. That's where we get Raiden, baby. This is just so funny and silly and it works so well. So who is this David Lopan? Imagine like an ancient being of time and space has come down in the body of a man, James Hong here. And in order to, you know, get things going again... He needs to find a wife. Well, lucky for us, you know, Jack Burton and Wang, they both got ladies they're interested in. You know, Wang's got his fiance, and we see that Kim Cattrall's kind of, you know, playing up a little bit will they, won't they with Jack. I cannot wait to talk about the end of that. And you just see Lopan's ultimate plan. He only needs one wife. He only needs one wife, right? He's like, I just need this one girl. Get things back on track for me. What does he do? He's like, I'll take both of them. Why not? They're both pretty girls. I could have them. Beautiful. I love Lopan as a villain because not only is just James Hong like the best voice actor out there, like his voice is so iconic and just interesting to listen to. His presence is so good. It's just so casual and so intense at the same time where everything sounds just like it's shouting at you and it's like a quiet, it's like, don't you want to do this? And it's like, yep, that's great. I love it. I love his stupid outfits. I love his hats. I love when he looks like an old guy at the beginning when he gets his power back. He looks young and he's wearing these stupid robes. Every second of it is great. And guys, wouldn't James Hong have been a fantastic Mandarin if we made Marvel movies back in the 80s and 90s? He would have slayed. He would have slayed so well. Like that would have been great. I love it to death. And Lopan, I honestly think it's one of the most iconic villains in film. Especially if you are interested in this genre, you're just like, yeah, Lopan, here he is. He's like, you know, character of myth and legend. Here he is just attacking everybody, looking like an old dude. It's it's great. It's amazing. He's just going to marry some girls. It's perfect. What else do you need from a story like this? It's about these dudes trying to find, like, love in a stupid place. They're fighting monsters. They're fighting a big floating eyeball thing. It's brilliant, and I love the ending of this because Kim Cattrall finally is like, I, I like you, Jack. Let's uh, let's kiss a little. He's like, I gotta go, sweetheart. The road doesn't wait for nobody but me. Later, skater. Completely blows her off. I adore it. It's like, aren't you gonna kiss her goodbye? No. <laughs> Why would he? <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Oh, there's just so many great moments in here, and the action is amazing it is just over the top kung fu whatever you want in that genre that's what this is it's just insanely fun and riveting and i love the scene when you know guys are exploding we're just hitting people with lightning towards the end battle we see wang gets a little intense and he's doing like great jump cuts where he's fighting i think it's rain he's just fighting in the sky we're just like back and forth the whole time it looks amazing it's so funny, so silly, and has so much great stuff going for it. I absolutely love what that scene is. I absolutely adore everything about that action. It all works so well. I know I talked about the costume again. I do just want to heart. I just do want to like focus in on this a little bit. 
I really, really, really like the way that they make Jack Burton look in here. The over-the-top hair where it's almost a mullet, where he's just slowly breaking down, where he just goes from like wearing a hat and a jacket to just being in a muscle shirt and jeans, just holding a gun, just looking like a freak. I love it. I think it is so fun and so cool. And I just, I cannot get over Kurt Russell's acting in this one. Like the scene where they're going into like, a, like to find a nice girl when we're in Chinatown, and he has to like pretend to be like some sleazeball trying to, you know, get with a nice, a nice promiscuous woman in a certain part of town completely hams it up it works so well it's amazing like everything about this film just sticks the landing and it's so weird to say that a film like this hit all the right nerves so if you haven't seen it it is probably the cheesiest dialogue you're going to see delivered at the best performances the costumes are great the fighting is great there's so many great scenes of thunder rain and lightning where they're just flying about screaming and shouting and kicking each other the weird pseudo sexual relationship of kim cattrall and kurt russell is fantastic there's just a guy who's narrating for no reason called egg shen he shows up randomly in it and it's just like i know lopen from the past he's like an ancient being like lopen i'm like oh okay why are you here there's a really stupid subplot that I adore with like Eddie and Margot where Eddie's like Wang's cousin or his friend. And he's just like, I like Margot. I'm going to stay here and protect Margot. Why? I don't know. Just why is he in here? Just because that's the subplot that'd be explored more in a different movie. You know, it's great. It's fantastic. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, I am so glad. I am glad beyond belief that nobody has rebooted this yet because this is like lightning in a bottle. No pun intended. Just perfect prosthetics, perfect cinematography. Everything about this would be missed and you wouldn't get the point if you remade it. This is such a, a perfect encapsulating film of the 80s, of the of what is spoofing. I love it in every second of it. You know, we could sit here all day talking about the best scenes, you know, where Kurt Russell's running down an alleyway or Kurt Russell gets punched in the face, gets knocked out from the big fight, tries to get up again, gets knocked down. We could talk about every single scene that's fantastic. The monster at the end of the thing, getting in the truck, everything. We could just sit here all day and talk about Big Trouble in Little China. But I want to end things talking about this. There is so much stuff that you see in film where it's like you have to have the perfect script. And this is a prime example where I'm like, you don't need the perfect script. You need the right people involved in every other aspect to make a mediocre script look good. You could have the best script in the world, but if your director, if your costume designer, if your production designer, if your actors can't make that work, you ruin a great script. Vice versa. If your script is bad, but you have the right actors, the right chemistry on set, the right voices being put in here, you can make something genuinely surprising and shocking. And Big Trouble in Little China is a great example, a fantastic example of the good you can do when talking about just kung fu movies and silly action. When camp is done right, it is done like Big Trouble in Little China. And that is where we're going to end things for this rendition of Movie Tales. Now, thank you guys so much for watching this video. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel. As always, you can check me out on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And I will catch you in the next one. Have fun. Stay safe. Good luck. Low pan. Um, that's a terrible... I did it better earlier. I don't know why I stuttered. Whatever. Watch this movie. Please watch this film.